0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz. Fox, and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm
1: Emily Campagno. I'm Guy Benson. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown.
2: Monday, August twenty eighth, twenty twenty three. I'm Mike Emanuel. This week marks two years since President Biden pulled U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. Some suggest it was that haphazard withdrawal that has emboldened America's adversaries like Russia's
1: Vladimir Putin.
2: It's a time he saw a weak president. And I think Chairman Xi sees
3: the same thing. And it really provides a very dangerous world.
1: And Lisa Brady. Another study finds more younger people getting cancer.
3: It's not simply that we're
4: screening more. What is happening is that younger people are not living as healthy lives as they were. They weigh more than they did.
0: And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown.
2: Vladimir Putin's rival, Yevgeny Prigozhin, has been confirmed dead by Russian authorities after a fiery plane crash. President Biden was asked by reporters about the cause of the incident. I'm
3: not liberty to speak to that but uh as you know because you and i talked about it, this one, i find no surprise yeah. they're trying to nail down precisely
2: i don't have any about retired general jack keen a fox news contributor says after prigozian's defiant march on moscow he had to pay a huge price
5: well certainly there's no surprise here i mean i think prigozian's fate was sealed as a June the 23rd, when he conducted a mutiny against the uh, Vladimir Putin regime, and despite the fact that, you know, they worked out some kind of an agreement, I think everyone looking at this, knowing Putin's history of dealing with his with his opponents, the
6: fate was sealed.
2: This week will also mark the two-year anniversary of the abrupt withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Thirteen American service members were killed in the final hours at Abbey Gate, just outside the airport In Kabul, Mark Schmitz lost his son, Lance Corporal Jared Schmitz, and says he still doesn't know all of the facts. I still don't know
3: how he fell. I know that it was obviously the suicide bomb. Did my son suffer? Did he bleed out like some of the others did and and were talking and handing out ammunition? You know, our families are being told one thing, and the Marines that were on the ground right there in the mix of it all, are telling a completely different story.
2: There will be a congressional roundtable with those Gold Star families tomorrow as there is ongoing analysis of the impact of a high-profile assassination in Russia.
3: Well, I think uh, Pergoshin was dead man walking after he marched to Moscow and, you know, stopped. Um, I think uh, Putin gave him a reprieve. He looked kind of weak.
2: Texas Congressman Michael McCall is the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. What happened since that time
3: was a concerted effort to bring the Wagner Group within the Ministry of Defense in Russia. Uh, in fact, they sent the merchant of death, you know, the arms dealer that we traded for Brittany Greiner. Mm-hmm. He was dispatched down to Africa, you know, around Mali, Niger, where billions of dollars of gold come out of through UAE to Russia to fund the Ukraine war. But anyway, I, I think he was, uh, was a matter of time. Uh, but I think they were trying to solidify their or consolidate their um, base with the uh, Wagner group and then take out the top. And uh, the way it went down, uh, they put a, there was a bomb put on the airplane. It blew off uh, one of the wings, and then it sent the plane into a downward spiral. And when I look at the manifest, it's basically Pugetian and many of his top uh, lieutenants who were taken out.
2: So the idea was basically cleaning house at the Wagner group? Yes.
3: I don't think they wanted to kill Wagner. I mean, Prigozhin initially, because they wanted to bring over the Wagner group to them. I think the question is going to be, since the, the killing of Prigozhin, how many Wagner uh, group members will stay aligned with Putin or how many will defect? Um, hmm. But, um, you know, the Soviet Union or Russia, you know I mean? I think, um, as the CIA director said, Putin's the apostle of payback. And, um, you know, we all knew it was just a matter of time. And the reports that this was an accident early on was just uh, laughable.
2: Putin came forward on Thursday to issue his condolences to Prigozhin's family. Do you think the Russian people buy it? Or do you think, you know, basically they're looking at this as, you know, they're feeling intimidation because of this brute force used.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think they, um, I think this solidified Putin's strength in Russia. I think he was challenged. Uh, mm-hmm. there's was a chink in the armor. And I, I, I think the Russian people probably get it for what it is. On the other hand, uh, there are very oppressed people and um, they um, have a very strong dictator at the top. You know, I know there are reporters out there who speak the truth. And one being, you know, the Wall Street Journal reporter, you know, Evan, Mm-hmm. who um, just got another three months of detention, and other uh, Russian reporters have been jailed. But they're they're very intimidated there. They're under surveillance. I've been there myself, and um, they don't speak up in protest very often because they know what the consequences will be. They're very heavy-handed, uh, but not unexpected. This is the Russian culture, and it's almost like a mafia-run organization Um, I know a lot of people told uh, Pryoshan to stay away from tall buildings with windows, and Mm -hmm. you look at who your food taster is, and I I really think it was just a matter of time.
2: Switching gears as we're about to mark the two-year anniversary of the Abbey Gate terrorist attack and the U.S.'s withdrawal from Afghanistan, tragic events that led to the death of 13 U.S. service members and abandoned hundreds of Americans, some that still remain in Afghanistan two years later your thoughts on the anniversary and the search for accountability from the white house after this botched withdrawal.
3: Well, we've been conducting a very active investigation. I'll be meeting with the gold star families of mm-hmm. the 13 service members who were killed. Um, the parents, um, it's very sad, but we're going to uh, hear their stories, but we're also going to give to them uh, new information. We'll have the, um, The sniper whose team had the suicide bomber in their sights but were not given permission to engage the target, Mm -hmm. which then led to the bombing that killed or wounded 170, both Americans and Afghanistans. Very tragic to the families because it could have been prevented. We also have new evidence that there was intelligence that they knew to the very day when this was going to happen, and they asked the Taliban to target ISIS-K. In a hotel where they were plotting the bombing, Taliban refused. An airstrike was called in by the intelligence community, and of course, that was denied as well. This is a complete foreign policy blunder that, in my judgment, began the projection of weakness that has now invited aggression from our major foreign adversaries. We saw Russia moving very quickly after that to invade Ukraine and the unholy alliance between Putin. And Chairman Xi in Beijing at the Olympics, and now the threat to the Pacific and Taiwan. It all spun out after Afghanistan because, you know, if you don't project strength like Reagan said, you will get aggression and and war and not peace.
2: You are going to hold a hearing with those 13 Gold Star families. Um, What are your expectations, and how important is it for these families to have their voices heard?
3: Yeah, they need to be heard. They're hurting. You know, and you look at them in the eye, and they deserve answers, and I'm going to do everything I can to get those answers to them if I have to go all the way to the top. We do have the commanding officer who denied the um, permission to engage the suicide bomber lined up for a, um, you know, for testimony, and then um, we'll go all up the chain to see, how did this get so wrong? I mean— You know, people could debate whether we should have left Afghanistan, but it was just the way it was done and outright surrender to the Taliban that the rest of the world saw that. And, again, that's when the foreign policy changed, when our adversaries became more aggressive. Because, you know, in Putin's case, it wasn't a question of if but when. And he saw this as now, it's the time he saw a weak president. And I think Chairman Xi sees the same thing. And it really provides a very dangerous world, very similar to what I saw in my dad's war, World War II, with Chamberlain and Hitler. Mm-hmm. You know, peace in our time, but it wasn't worth the paper it was written on. And I, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between what's happening now to the threats to Europe and the Pacific that I did in my dad's war.
2: What about the situation in Afghanistan today, two years later? Is the Taliban back to basically the same old Taliban in terms of you know, women being banned from most areas of public life, girls not being allowed to go to school and more?
3: Yeah, it's it's um, probably the saddest story. We left Americans, we left our Afghan partners behind, we left biometrics behind that they used to hunt down our Afghan partners. We left weapons behind. They're now selling to terrorist organizations. But the women, that story is, I think, the hardest one mm-hmm. to accept. I mean, many of them have never lived under the Taliban Sharia law where they can't go outside the house. They have to wear burqas. They can't be educated. They're treated like property. And um, that is the saddest thing. And they are the same old Taliban. They haven't changed. Uh, what I'm looking at is our foreign assistance, humanitarian assistance to Afghanistan. While I want to help, they are half the population in poverty, mm-hmm. and we want to help them. We just don't want that money going into in the hands of the Taliban, which, as you know, uh, is most likely to happen. We don't want to do anything to empower them. Um, so that's a very difficult foreign policy decision, just like the $6 billion we gave to Iran in exchange for the five prisoners. I mean, mm-hmm. this uh, administration is uh, it's a very naive uh, foreign policy, and they don't understand that projecting strength is a key, not weakness.
2: August recess will be wrapping up shortly. Your committee, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, will be back in action before long. What are your priorities as you're about to come back into session, perhaps on issues like China and or Iran?
3: Well, with Iran, they are renegotiating the JCPOA. Under law, they have to brief us on this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's very dangerous to legalize their nuclear weapons program. And I'll be passing a resolution that... it shall be the policy of the United States that a nuclear Iran is not acceptable. In diplomatic terms, that means they will not be allowed to go forward, and we will use every means necessary to stop it, along with Israel. But, you know, uh, Iran is, is becoming a greater threat, so is Kim Jong un. But China's always the one I'm worried the most about because, you know, I visited the islands, Taiwan. Was surrounded by ten um, battleships, aircraft carrier, seventy fighter jets, just to intimidate me and to deter me from meeting with President Tsai, the president of Taiwan, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I got sanctioned. It just shows you how aggressive they've become. They want reunification with Taiwan, and some say, why is that important? One issue is that TSMC, uh, that's the largest you know, manufacturer of semiconductor chips is in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. My chips bill is designed to pull that supply chain out, but it's going to take time. Right now they have 90% of the advanced semiconductor chip manufacturing. And if you thought COVID was a bad experience, if China owns or breaks that, it's going to really send us into an economic uh, downturn.
2: The chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall of the great state of Texas, thank you so much for your time. Safe travels.
3: Thanks, Mike. Thanks
5: for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one of a kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
0: This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up.
1: Early-onset cancer is on the rise. That is, cancers diagnosed in patients under age 50. A new study of more than a half million early-onset cases finds people in their 30s had the biggest increase, up nearly 20 percent between 2010 and 2019, mostly among women. Overall, men had a decrease in cancer rates during the same time frame. The study, published in the journal JAMA Network Open, follows earlier findings about rising colorectal cancer rates in younger people.
4: Specifically, we're keeping an eye on colon and breast cancer. Those are the two biggies.
1: Dr. Mark Siegel is a Fox News medical contributor and clinical professor of medicine at NYU Langone Medical Center.
4: I think we should be worried about this. There are several explanations for it. One is diet is getting poorer, The t- more processed foods, more chemicals in your diet. Obesity is going up. Obesity is correlated with cancers, especially breast and colon. There's also the sedentary lifestyle problem, too much alcohol, too much tobacco. All of that's on the increase. And on top of that, there's forever chemicals in the environment. So people are more exposed to uh, carcinogens than before.
1: Are younger people not living healthier lifestyles than generations past? Or is the deck, you know, stacked against them from these other factors?
4: there's a few things. First of all, uh, di- diagnostic surveillance is going up. So we're screening people at younger ages. If we screen, we find, we find, but we're also finding cancers that are more aggressive. It's not simply that we're screening more. What is happening is that uh, younger people are not living as healthy lives as they were. They weigh more than they did. Obesity leads to insulin resistance and inflammation in the body. Inflammation directly leads to cancer. The more inflammation you have, the more chances you have cancer. Alcohol increases inflammation. Cigarettes and tobacco do. Stress, uh, lack of sleep does as well.
1: I know smoking rates ha- have dropped more in recent decades. The most recent CDC figures from 2021 show 11.5% of adults in the U.S. as current smokers. That's more than 28 million, but that's down from nearly 21% in 2005. What about vaping? Does that factor into these rising cancer rates in younger people?
4: I think vaping plays a role, but we don't know exactly how much yet. Don't forget, we're not talking about tar we're talking about nicotine and we're not not talking about as many toxins, but it plays a role. I also think that preliminary data is showing that smoking increased during the pandemic. People had nothing else to do. They were home. They drank. They smoked.
1: Getting back to the screenings for a moment. Do insurance companies tend to make it more difficult for younger people that traditionally have been considered at lower risk for certain cancers to have screenings covered?
4: There's a battle going on to make sure that screening is covered for younger people. Um, Screening recommendations for colon cancer are going down from 50 to 45. I'm on board with that. Totally. I think 45 is the place to start. I think 50 was a great, great idea because it got people to get screened, but now we have to look at it more specifically. What's the family history? How many people in your family had polyps? Did anyone have colon cancer? Uh, all of that plays a role in what age you start screening. What's your bowel habits? What's your change? Are you having sudden co- constipation? I mean, we need all of that to be covered by insurance. And it is a bit of a struggle.
1: I mean, the new study, though, points to people ages, you know, 30 to 39 having the biggest jump in certain cancers. And, and they did point as well to other gastrointestinal cancers, not just colon, but pancreatic, bile duct, appendix. Um, how expensive and time-consuming is the screening process? Are there screenings for all of those?
4: Well, you mentioned a lot of cancers there. First of all, the rate in the 30 to 39 group is still quite low, even though it's increasing. So I don't want everyone out there to think, I'm 35, I've got to get a colonoscopy. You've got to figure out what's something called risk stratification. What's your risk? What's the appropriate test? Actually, a colonoscopy is a great test, as is an endoscopy, because they give you an answer flat out with a visualization and biopsy. People don't like them because of the preps, but I encourage more and more people to have them. I get at least five patients a day say to me, I want Cologuard, I don't want a colonoscopy, and I try to talk them into it if I can. So for looking at the GI tract, we have the ability to do that. The small bowel is a little harder to get to, but we can get there. Uh, You know, we can look into the belly with CAT scans, but by the time you diagnose pancreatic cancer, it's usually too late, unless you're going around screening for it, which we don't do. We got a problem with pancreatic cancer because you know, silent jaundice, by the time you get that, it can be your, your first symptom, probably already advanced. So we have to basically be on the lookout at who's at risk because of their family history, and then we're improving our genetic scrutinies of these cancers. That's gonna be the future where we are able to look at a blood test or look at a protein test in, in the blood or look at it, a genetic marker and use artificial intelligence to help us sort through all of this, we're gonna be able to make cancer diagnoses non invasively.
1: So right now, are there any blood tests or less intrusive screenings that can be done regularly by a primary care doctor, you know, for cancer? Well,
4: there's Cologuard for colon cancer, but my problem is I don't think it's accurate enough. I use it on people who refuse to get a study. I don't think that virtual colonoscopies add much because you got the same PrEP anyway. The PrEP is the problem, and I think we're moving in a direction of better PrEPs that are more easily tolerated. We don't yet have blood tests that take the place of these procedures.
1: And we should note, for anyone who doesn't know, Cologuard is the at-home version where people send in a stool sample. Do I have that right
4: That's exactly right. The other thing I can do for older people over 70 is I can do a stool for immunoassay. If that's abnormal, that's pretty sensitive. So for people that say, well, I'm I'm 88 years old. My gastroenterologist doesn't want me to have any more colonoscopies. I check their stool for atypical cells.
1: President Biden's Cancer Moonshot Initiative is launching an effort now to focus on mRNA technology, notably used for COVID vaccines recently, to potentially teach our bodies to fight cancer and other diseases in the future. Is that research that's already being done elsewhere, specifically for cancer?
4: Yeah, there's cancer vaccines going on around the country and around the world. And you have the basis of it right. We're trying to school our immune system that cancer is there. Cancer tends to hide from the immune system. Something like immunotherapy checkpoint inhibitors, that was a big step in the right direction, but cancer continues to mutate. So we're looking for more basic targeted therapy that looks at all cancers, not just at certain mutations.
1: Some critics of COVID vaccines have taken particular issue with mRNA. What do you say to reassure people about the advancements made so far with that and the additional breakthroughs that might come from it?
4: I think all of that discussion has been political, Lisa, and I'm very disappointed in it. mRNA technology has been around since the late 1980s. The problem was figuring out how to get the mRNA into the body, make thousands of mRNAs ourselves every day. But this, if we wanted to do it with a vaccine, how do we get into the body without the body rejecting it? And a great scientist at Penn Figured out a what Drew Weissman is his name. He figured out a, a way to coat the mRNA particle with lip, lipid, and and lipids are not usually as uh, antigenic as other as proteins are. And so we he they got a formulation that got into the body. That that was a long time ago, but th- that's something that they were working on and were about ready to use about the time of SARS in two thousand and three. So you can imagine that that the pump was primed. And through Operation Warp Speed, which involved a public-private partnership, they ramped up production and got these vaccines, which I believe strongly, and I'm not alone, are quite effective and safe. They're effective not necessarily at preventing spread. Maybe that was one of the problems was messaging that at the beginning. They do decrease spread in the first few months, by the way, in the vast majority of cases temporarily but they're very good at decreasing severity. And study after study now is showing that they decrease the risk of long COVID. I think that mRNA technology, which was originally meant for cancer research, if anything, here's a direct answer to your question, if anything, all of the use of it in, in, in trillions of doses has given us tremendous data on exactly how to do that. So we're much closer to using mRNA vaccine technology for cancer than ever. And We should resist any political fallout from that.
1: So what what do you tell patients who want to try to prevent cancer?
4: Well, the first thing you start with is lifestyle. We already went over that. First of all, you want everybody that eats better, drinks less alcohol, doesn't smoke, exercises and gets their weight down, decreases their risk of cancer. Then you should know your genetic risks. You should undergo basic screenings and not resist them or delay them. You know, screenings is not a generic word. I think some of our screening divisions have done us a disservice. Like the US Prevented Services Task Force doesn't recommend the PSA. I love the PSA. You've gotta be a good enough clinician to know what to do with the information you get. So if I get a PSA, it doesn't mean I do a biopsy. It's something I follow. It's a trend I follow. Same with a mammogram. You can't overdo a mammogram it just gives me information to follow. And as artificial intelligence comes in, it's going to be easier and easier to track things. Smokers should have screening CAT scans. Every male over the age of 45 should have a PSA, especially if they're in a high-risk group. Everyone over 45 should have a colonoscopy. Every woman over 40 should have a mammogram. These are generic ideas that, that, that need to be applied.
1: And spell out what PSA is for anyone who doesn't know.
4: <laughs> Prostate-specific antigen.
1: Thank you so much. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News medical contributor, we appreciate your time.
4: Always great to be on with you. Thanks, Lisa.
6: Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday marks 60 years since Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. The event in the nation's capital was the largest civil rights gathering at the time. Tuesday, President Biden is scheduled to host Costa Rica's president at the White House as the U.S. seeks to deepen ties with the key Latin American partner. Wednesday, stargazers will have a chance to see a rare August blue supermoon. It's the second full moon of the month and will appear larger in the sky due to its orbit in relation to Earth. Thursday, Pope Francis begins a visit to Mongolia. Friday. Unless overruled by a judge, a new law is set to take effect in Arkansas requiring social media companies to use a third party to verify a new user is over the age of 18. It would be the first of its kind law in the country. And in Texas, a new law is set to take effect requiring a person convicted of intoxication manslaughter to pay child support if they kill a parent of young children. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison Fox News.
5: Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at FoxBusinessPodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind?
0: Growing up, I loved reruns of the now-iconic Twilight Zone television series, which was a creation of Rod Serling and looked at the dilemmas of ordinary people facing extraordinary and oftentimes very strange and inexplicable events. Courtesy of the Deep State, this now sounds like a description of our own lives. For the past decade. Last week was no different as Donald Trump, the former president of the United States and leading candidate for the Republican nomination for president in 2024, turned himself in to the Fulton County Sheriff's Office after a 41 count indictment against Trump and 18 others pursued by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. It is Trump's fourth indictment in a series confirming the fear of ordinary Americans. That the justice system is not just unfair, it has been weaponized in service of the bureaucratic establishment. This political persecution of Trump was no doubt expected to frighten his supporters into retreat, but that hasn't happened. The political and shattering classes are scratching their heads, declaring his supporters a cult for refusing to bow to those who point and accuse. Believing Trump supporters are somehow mesmerized by the former president, as opposed to our being appalled and shocked by the behavior of the establishment, exposes just how out of touch the establishment is with ordinary Americans. So here's a newsflash. Americans supporting Trump are doing so because of his success on the issues during his first term. He made America safer, the economy stronger, and our lives better. For many people, it is also a statement to the establishment that we reject their dirty, authority. Effort To weaponize this government against those whom they consider political opponents, which now bizarrely includes Americans who love the country. This open persecution is not just of Trump, but of all of us. Americans watched as Trump flew to Atlanta to surrender to the Fulton County Sheriff, as live news coverage of his motorcade was across all platforms. Florida Congressman Byron Donalds posted this on X, formerly known as Twitter, as Trump was subjected to the arrest. Quote, Today is another dark day in U.S. history, a day when we, the people, and the world will witness the continued weaponization of the justice system against a political opponent, former POTUS, and leading candidate for the upcoming presidential election. This is a travesty of justice. It is also surreal, embarrassing for our country, and more than extremely troubling as a statement about the condition of our nation. It is astonishing Trump is willing to go through this for us something his persecutors no doubt hoped he would shrink away from. But no, after making remarks on the tarmac in Atlanta for his return to New Jersey, Trump posted his mugshot on Truth Social and also on X, his first post in over two years on what had been Twitter, noting, quote, mugshot, August 24th, 2023, election interference, never surrender. Not exactly a message from a guy ready to go silently into that dark night. The Trump mugshot is now everywhere, as are the mugshots of the others, his lawyers, who were also indicted by the Fulton County Star Chamber. We are told there will be trials and Trump will inevitably be found guilty of something. Giddy Trump haters cite the 14th Amendment as a way to ban Trump from running for president. Who knows what other charges the special prosecutor will come up with out of D.C.? In other words, expect the insanity to continue because none of this is rational. Simply, the left never knows when to stop. They are driven by a malignant narcissism that forbids the rational and decent. One of the many major problems for the Democrats in their pathological derangement is their underestimation of the American people. It continues and will be their undoing. I'm Tammy Bruce, a Fox News contributor, and this column originally posted at amac.us.
5: You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.